this? This is, this is Diversified Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kellen. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. Tyson. When you're going against the odds, you've got to be creative, you've got to innovate, you've got to stand out. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So let the game begin. What's the 1% that will make you better tomorrow? Hey, it's Kellen. And of course, AL. And today, I haven't been this excited for an interview in decades. We have Dr. Alan Weiss, who is the author of The Million Dollar Coaching, Consulting, and the first book that I read was Getting Started in Consulting. Dr. Weiss, king of consulting, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. You know, I could listen to you forever. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and I could read your books, audio, reading. I have my father-in-law in the next room reading um, your book. Because after running Cameroon, the country's newspaper, after consulting for the UN, I said, Papa, we've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> I, I said, you got to catch what he's saying. And he's been reading it. And um, it's, it's a great thing. It's just great to have you here. Can, I could talk about you all day, but I know that you have a spill and I'd love for you to give it to the people so they can understand why after five pages of reading, getting started in consulting, I went, contacted you and bought your book and said, I have to get everything this man is writing. Um, tell us about yourself. Well, um, I've been a consultant for over 30 years and, uh, uh, that is an independent consultant. And I was, uh, I began this career because I was fired. You know, I was president of a consulting firm and uh, the owner of the firm and I uh, didn't see eye to eye. So he fired me. And I figured I'd never work for anyone who could fire me again. And I made two decisions that saved my life. One is the fact that this is a relationship business. And the second was I would never charge by a time unit or a day or people in seats or anything like that. I'd only charge for value. And those two decisions uh, saved my life. Wow. And, and also the part that's so humbling is that you were like doing $20 resumes after being fired and you surely aren't doing that anymore. But I think that's inspiring to people because a lot of us, I know that as an employee, I always had ideas. So I didn't make a good employee for companies because ideas are one of those things that, you know, companies, you got to go through Congress sometimes to get through them. And so when, how did you get, because it all seems like it started in the mind, like if you believe it, you can achieve it type stuff. From writing the $20 resumes, where do you get the confidence to say, hey, I want $75,000 as a low end. You're, you're a blessing to get me at that price. How, where did that spark come? Hey, Kellen, do you have a resume that needs to be done? Because, you know, I can still do it. <laughs> I haven't done a resume in a long time. But <laughs> right. yeah. So look, here's what happened. Uh, I called everybody I knew when I got fired, and I let them know I was on my own. Here's what I was doing. And I got a call from Merck, the pharmaceutical company, and they said, come on down here. We'd like to talk to you about some consulting work because, you know, we know you from a, a while ago. And uh, I put together a proposal for them for $14,000. And when I pushed it across the desk uh, and the, the buyer said, let me look at that, I began to perspire really heavily, and I saw shooting lights 
And I said, my God, I'm having a heart attack. I'm not cut out for this, you know? And, and then he pushed it back at me and he said, this is fine, let's go. And I said, oh my God, this should have been 35,000. And that's when I realized that if you're looking at real value, you can charge almost anything because these companies are paying $100,000 to have the plants misted or to have the parking lot repaved, you know? Mm-hmm. So to help the business grow, six figures is nothing. I used that last night. I kid you not, uh, Stephen Matley will tell you, and he called me last night after telling him to buy your book. He's a consultant and does a lot of stuff out here in Seattle. And he called me, he was calling me like at 1030. I'm like, I'm not picking up the phone call. I'm trying to relax with my wife. But I used the plant analogy. And it was like, he was like, you're right. Because he offered me something that was about 10000 I said, huh, you haven't read Alan Weiss, huh? You need to go back. I said, both of us can't share ten grand a month um, because, for what they want, you know. But I'm, when I think about everything that you put in all these books, I'm thinking how you say, even at your age, you can do it better than the young guys. And I love that. I love that, that confidence and that you're doing it better than most. Where does this come from, this confidence? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, you know, I believe in the 1% solution, and that is if you improve by 1% a day, in 70 days, you're twice as good. And this might be the 1% for your listeners. The fact is that as we grow older, we tend to think about things we can't do anymore. As I grow older, I think of things I can do that I could never do before. You know the difference? <laughs> And if you understand the fact that there are things you can do as you get older and wiser and more successful that you couldn't do before, every day is an opportunity. So it's all a matter of mindset, Kellen, and, uh, and we control our mindset. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, doc, Dr. Weiss. Call um, me, Alan, would you please? Oh, not a problem, not a problem, Alan. Um, with where you are, just kind of piggybacking off of your last response, is... Uh, the, all the hours that you put in, all the people that you've mentored, is that what fuels the personal development? Is, is that sharpness? Is that continuing the business, continuing to help people? Is that what makes you sharper? I think so. I, you know, it's like a big laboratory. But let me tell you something. I still deal with some corporate clients. And of course, for a while, I dealt with a lot of Fortune 500 clients. Today, I deal primarily with entrepreneurs and experts. But the thing is, I view every kind of interaction uh, as, as a challenge, as an opportunity. So when somebody gives me an objection or they're skeptical or whatever it is, I mean, I don't care if we're sitting in the office of somebody making $10 million a year or I'm sitting across the table from you know, an entrepreneur who's creating some kind of new venture. Uh, my feeling is it's always a challenge and an opportunity, and it's like a chess game. And right. so it's a lot of fun. And you just have to think six moves ahead, you know? Okay, for sure, for sure, for sure. Now, I, I saw something on your, your website where you were consulting um, a CEO and as um, startups, you know, build their, build their companies, how do you impress upon these CEOs or these heads of these companies to kind of let loose the reins because he or she may feel, well, I have to be all in or I need to put all this effort in to keep my, quote unquote, my baby afloat? Well, you know, you've heard people talk about leverage all the time, right? We have to leverage this, leverage that. What I try to do is convince people that uh, they're not going to leverage their own talents unless they delegate. And in most startups, people are overwhelmed with their methodology. They're overwhelmed with what you call the baby, you know, that they have, what they've created. And really, the secret for any entrepreneur or expert or startup is marketing. Mm 
uh, and they tend to ignore the marketing. So I, I, you know, it doesn't matter how good your story is if no one hears it. And you know, we like to talk about field of dreams, build it and they will come. But the fact is, I think it's build it and then tell them you've built it and then they will come. Huh. That needs to be amended. That definitely needs to be amended. I love it. It's amazing. I, I think that your, um, your, your word, your word play, a lot of us, when we're young, we have, you know, we want to get numbers. We want to, you know, do something with the ladies. We want to impress them. You have just really flipped it where you're impressing the business folks. And for everything that they may say, you have something for that. Am I right or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, it's, it's all about repartee. Language is everything. I don't care what business you're in. Language is everything. And the ability to use a metaphor or an example or an analogy uh, quickly uh, puts you ahead of the pack. So I, I, I'm a student of language. I, I love vocabulary. I love having interactions with people. And I found ways to easily influence any conversation. I, I started in writing and so did AL. And you keep your writing going. Sometimes um, as writers, you hear people say, oh, I have writer's block or I'm not inspired or this and that. Um, nice sceneries inspire me, but more than that, eating inspires me and I want to be able to eat. What inspires you to keep on writing at this point? <laughs> well, you know, Kellen, I, go, I go for volume, not accuracy. So it's not difficult. You know what I'm saying? Writer's <laughs> so, block is a myth. You know, you write, a, you write a letter, pretty soon you have a word, pretty soon you have a sentence, pretty soon you have a paragraph, start the next paragraph, pretty soon you have a page. Writer's block is just procrastination. But what keeps me going is curiosity, you know? I mean, I love to explore what's around me. And the fact is that uh, the more you write, the more you can answer questions while you raise still more questions. And people think life is a search for meaning. It isn't. Life is about creating meaning. And we all have to create different meaning for ourselves. And you do that by being curious. You do that by asking questions. And consequently, uh, my writing is a way that I can explore that easily. I write for myself. And I'm, I'm pleased that you guys like my books. And I'm pleased that others, you know, thank God, like my books. But I basically write for myself. Impressive. Impressive. Did, did you want to expound on that, AL? Did you want to? I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm... Like this, this conversation uh, between us all. I feel like I'm, I'm back in, I'm back in class, man. I'm just, I'm soaking all this up. This is, uh, this is brain food for me, man. Well, he'll, he'll send you an invoice, and it'll be a hef hefty one. You might have to put some I, I payments on. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you an invoice and a report card. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Spe speaking of class, though, I can only um, imagine that there's been many of universities who have said, hey, Alan, will you come to here, there? I've seen you speak at Harvard, you know, through the YouTube, whatnot. I mean, and I know you do your own retreats in your own house, which you find that to just be, you know, you're able to do your, your thing on your timing. And even you writing are, are, are doing a YouTube saying you could run for president, but you couldn't run. I understood that. I was like, I get it. Those, how many colleges have asked you to come speak? Have you turned down as far as like, I want you to be a professor and follow our rules? Well, um, I taught at the University of Rhode Island for about four or five semesters uh, to uh, MBA and PhD candidates. Mm. And I did that at night. So it didn't interfere too much, you know, with my schedule. I did it for 
two nights a week, whatever it was. And you know, professors can get away with murder. So if I if I had a, if I didn't if I told them I couldn't show up, I wouldn't show up. And then I've been a guest professor and a guest lecturer at maybe a dozen schools like Harvard, where you saw me. But um, I've never had a request to be a full time professor, and uh, and nor would I accept it. Okay. And is it the end of it? It's the same thing, I think, with you, because I feel the, the, the spirit, even running for president, it's like, okay, I could, I have great ideas, but the things that you'd want me to do, I just wouldn't want to do them. And you, you get one life to live. I mean, is that what you were getting to with, with that short video you did on YouTube? Life is short and uh, you have to do things that are rewarding and, and that contribute to others. Uh, you can't do things that uh, other people advise you to do, or I would have been a lawyer. Uh, you can't live your life by other people's metrics. And so I've been very good at establishing my own metrics for this creation of meaning I talked about. And fortunately, doing that, I've been able to help other people. Okay. And, and, and that's the, um, you know, that's the uh, snowshoeing. You don't find it fun to, you know, do snowshoeing, just going in everybody else's tracks. That's in his book. Well, you Cross country. Cross country. Cross in the rut. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. You know, he doesn't want to. Boring. That, that is probably the first or second most boring sport in the world next to women's field hockey. I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> My dog fell asleep. My dog fell asleep watching women's field hockey. Wow. But, yeah. It's sad. That, that, that's, and so when, when you hear people like, um, let me just, I'm just throwing things out there. When you he first heard of crypto, and I think I heard of it, you know, 15 years ago, cause we were buying things we didn't want our parents to know. When you hear about these new type of ideas, um, you just <laughs> jump you right, huh? So you buy drugs? No, no, no. <laughs> it was probably at best some type of video that we didn't, you know, on, on their credit card. Don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I'm a very open, like, when you say follow your own path, I can't be in an office because the things that I say, I got people saying, Kellen, you can't say that. And I'm like, wait, that's how I felt. I thought we were entitled to that in this country. You know, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but that's the truth. But when you hear of things of Bitcoin and when AI are going to replace jobs, are these things that you say as a consultant, I want to be a part of that? Or what's your process when you hear about? Well, I basically say that most of it is crap because remember, we were going to have a checklist society. We were going to have a cashless society. Uh, we were going to have a paperless office. And none of that has come to pass. The fact is that society is not about an on and off switch. Society is about a rheostat. And so people pay by credit card or they pay by other means. And, uh, but some people pay in cash and some people pay by check. Uh, we're going to have some autonomous cars. We're also going to have people driving their own cars, you know? To me, being in an autonomous car is like eating pre-chewed food. You know, that's just <laughs> not going to happen. So what happens is people say, oh, we have to stop this and we're gonna, then this will be new. It doesn't work that way. It's always a blend. Uh, I think cryptocurrency right now is just one huge gamble. And, uh, you know, who has a Google or somebody who's going to come out with their own currency? Yes. Come on. Well, I, I, I was in London with my, with my family, two kids, two little kids and my wife. We could not catch the bus because we weren't contactless, you know. That's right. And, and I've been to 15 plus countries. You've been to like 50 plus countries. I'm even looking when we came from Kenya about three weeks ago. I mean, what they're doing with M-Pesa, I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. We're, we're not there yet. 
So I sometimes think, is it coming first and then it will come last to America, which would be kind of weird. And listen, uh, when was the last time we adopted the metric system? Do you remember? Because we haven't. <laughs> Come on, what's it coming to America? Listen, I was just in Dubai a couple of weeks ago, and Dubai has their own money, the AED. And of course, it's also like you described, everything is done on credit. It's a very wealthy country. Everything is very expensive. But when I take out American dollars, people are saying, Good, happy to see you. So, okay. Uh, speaking of like currency and value, I just want to just kind of quickly circle back around. Uh, about establishing value and time and when was when was the when did it click for you that you didn't want to do uh based your value on people's specific time was it more of like a learning curve you found with the people that you were consulting or or what exactly well what i found is that when i was working for someone else <clears throat> um and they would point in a direction and say go there and i'd spend mm -hmm. three or four days there that that was pretty awful. I hated it, no matter how much money I was making. And then when I went out on my own, <clears throat> I found I was, you know, like those $20 resumes and so on. I was traveling 80% of the time. You know, I'd leave on Sunday night. I might come home on a Wednesday, spend Wednesday night at home. Thursday, I'm gone, come back Friday night. You know, I had small kids. And to me, that was just horrible. And that's when I realized that wealth is really discretionary time. Wealth is going where you want, when you want. <clears throat> and so money's just fuel for that. So I decided, you know, I would base what I did on value and if you extrapolate that, I make most of my money today giving people advice remotely. And so that's ideal. Now, you know, occasionally I have to show up or occasionally, you know, as, as Kellen said, I, I hold my own events, but that's because I want to be someplace. I want to go there. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And also Fair. that he can be there even while being here. Because I, I, I just, I, I chuckled at so much of this book of, you know, um, this is going to be the price. It was, I think it was like 125. Okay. When will we see you? Hey, I'm not coming in. And I could just imagine that phone call. And I said, I love it because I, I started as a writer and, and then a music guy, politics and whatever, but we don't have to be anywhere to see. I mean, I can see it. Give me a camera. Let me see it. I don't have to be there. If you want to buy a first class ticket and pay my fee, that's cool too. But I have little kids that my wife is, um, in medicine. So she's been gone for the last nine years. I'm waiting to get her back in seven months. So I loved that part of the book. Wait a minute, your wife's forgot, your wife's forgot for nine years? Well, she, you know, residency and then your fellowship. So she's a radiologist, oh, so it takes a minute. Yeah, yeah, I All mean, right. I haven't seen her at like, you know, for three hours a day. <laughs> oh, that's better. Yeah. I was going to say, I think you're missing the point here, Kelly. Yeah, no, no, uh, no. <laughs> I want to go back to your point. If you take a look at technology, you know, you talked about AI. If you look at technology and you, and you think of a rheostat, you and I are still doing what we've always done, but we're able to do it remotely now. So consulting hasn't been replaced. Advice hasn't been replaced. It's been augmented by technology. And that's what I mean by a blend. Uh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Fair enough. I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. Alan. Here, here's something. Um, you know, you have these various schools of thought. You have your, um, you know, your like your Tony Robbins and like your Napoleon Hills, your your Law of Attractions, and all all of those guys. Is your school of thought the actual application of personal development as it applies to entrepreneurialism? 
Well, my school of thought is that uh, people don't have a right to uh, use wealth without creating wealth, and they don't have a right to use happiness without creating happiness. And so life's about reciprocity. Life's about contributing, not just taking. Now, Napoleon Hill was a fraud. He was a con man. If you read any of the literature, uh, even, even Think and Grow Rich, I mean, he, um, he lied and he cheated and he stole. Uh, I, I mean, that's the story with him. Tony Robbins is a brilliant marketer. Uh, and I admire the way he's marketed. I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of there there. I don't think that his, his content is basically the, the human potential stuff from the 90s sort of interestingly put back together. But my feeling is that people don't improve through motivational talks uh, because motivation is intrinsic, not extrinsic. People improve when you give them skills which they can replicate over and over again and get better and better and better. So I focused on giving people the skills they need to improve. And my philosophy has always been not to tell them to do what I do, but to tell them what they can do consistent with their own skills and behaviors. That, that's the, Kel, you hit it. That is the gem right there. Yeah. That's yeah. the gem right there. We yeah. got a gem. Gem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, speak up. <laughs> Not a yeah, problem. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 is that is key because because a lot of I mean, you, you've said it, you've said it when you come up with these things um, and you put them in these books for us to read. And, and, and I see that you're not the biggest fan, even though you're on YouTube and the Rolls Royce looks beautiful. Rolls Royce, dog, everything looks looks beautiful. But I've noticed that maybe the YouTube audience doesn't want to hear what I find to be so practical because I would think when I'm looking at the YouTube, I'm like, why is everyone not listening to this? Why is he, are they not begging for more and more? Um, but what your take on YouTube, because you are an influencer and sometimes things don't transfer. If you ever call me and say, hey, Kellen, I want this YouTube to even grow bigger because even in my my death, I want people to be hearing my voice, which I think sometimes the greatest artists are always more appreciated in death. We've seen it with, you know, so many. But what is your take on the, the YouTubes and all these platforms right now? Well, look, here's, here's what I think. I better, I better tell you quickly before my death here. Uh, <laughs> no, you got a long ways. Out. You got a no, long ways. You. Yes. I put stuff out there in text, electronically, audio, video. You know, I have an, a weekly podcast. I put stuff out there in all media, uh, and whoever can benefit from it benefits from it. But, you know, I talked about using the wrong metrics earlier. I, I don't care how many people watch it. I don't care about click-throughs. I don't care about likes. I don't care about any of that. I basically write and record and broadcast for myself. And I'm confident that a lot of people will pick up and appreciate what I'm talking about and use it. Some people won't. I don't care. That's their choice. But I, you know, I'm not in a popularity contest here. So if you're not in a popularity contest and you're not consumed with what people think about you, then you can put a wealth of intellectual property out there and say, whoever wants it, take it. Okay. Hmm. I, I, the kid with the prescription glasses and the love locks gets it because I don't care. And it has been a journey for people to be like, wait, he really doesn't care what we think. So I, I, I get that. You, you, you can't. When I, I read the million dollar coaching and I, I see the million dollar consult, uh, consulting is the million dollars 
a, um, is that just to get them, is that the goal or is, are you using that word? Cause you know, everyone wants to be a millionaire. Like what's the, the, the million dollar stance? It's a metaphor. Mm. And uh, it's a metaphor because some people can lead the life they want on 300,000 or I don't know what, 175,000 or 3 million. It's a metaphor and it's a very, very clever and accidental franchise. You know, when I, I wrote a manuscript, a proposal for Confessions of a Consultant uh, for McGraw-Hill and they hated it. Uh, and it was rejected by 15 other publishers, but McGraw-Hill was the creme de la creme, you know? Mm. And they said, look, can you write a book about how you made a million dollars on your own in a year? I said, I can do that in six minutes. They said, well, take six months, but write it. So when I wrote it, it still said confessions of a consultant, even though it was now, you know, about how you make a million dollars consulting. So the, the trade editor, a woman named Betsy Brown, sat me down in New York and she said, we're going into production next week. We need a title. And I said, okay, I'll work on it. She said, sit down, you're not leaving. I want a title now. And I said, Betsy, it's about how to make a million dollars consulting. And she said, that's the title. And, and that's how that happened. And to this day, the book's been on the shelves for 30 years. I mean, this is an atmosphere, right? Five editions. To this day, I get my uh, royalty check made out to Confessions of a Consultant. That's, <laughs> wow. that's the royal bureaucracy. Wow. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, go figure. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Oh, Alan, that, that, here's, a, uh, here's a fun hey, fact. Hey, who, yes, sir. Who told you to call me Alan? <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, fun, fun fact, uh, when doing a little bit of background research uh, about you, um, I got extremely excited uh, reading that you were from New Jersey. I'm also from New Jersey. Where? Um, sheesh, all, all over. Actually, you're, um, uh, I'm originally from North New Jersey, so that you went to Rutgers University in North, right. North Campus. Um, uh, my, my family grew up, grew up around there. I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is really close really close to heart, really close to home. I just funded a, a scholarship at Rutgers in Newark. Wow. Yeah, it just, uh, it'll start next year. So uh, yeah, I got a great education there and uh, I really have a debt to the school. It was a wonderful school. That's, that's awesome. Speaking of, um, you know, growing up and home and school, um, do you think that, uh, how you were raised, um, you know, with your dad being a salesman, uh, did that contributed to you leading a life of uh, business, sales, um, consultancy? I got to tell you something, Al. I have been interviewed probably seven or 8,000 times, and I have mm -hmm. never been asked that question. Good for you. No way. No, never been asked that question. In fact, I don't know how many people have done that kind of research to know what you know, but I'll tell you this. It's a great question. And I was not influenced at all because my father was kind of irresponsible. Mm. And, you know, he, he would close a big piece of business, uh, you know, in roofing, but he'd lose money on it because he didn't calculate correctly. Uh, and then he got into gambling trouble. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he fought in World War II. He was a brave man. But uh, his, the, the role model for me was sort of the opposite of what he was doing. It was one of responsibility. And uh, so I guess you could say in reverse, I learned from him, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, what made me uh, think of that is that um, I was kind of perusing the, um, uh, the Steve Jobs uh, biography 
And it kind of made me uh, reflect a little bit on that while thinking about your life and the life that you've led and wondering if these, I guess these external factors kind of push us in the direction of where we are at present. But let me say two things. The first is that um, that biography was brilliant. It was written by Walter Isaacson. And I know Walter yes. We We worked together at the American Press Institute. He's a, I mean, I think he's head of the Aspen Institute now, but he was just, he's a brilliant biographer. He's won a couple of Pulitzer's, I believe. Uh, anyhow, uh, the second thing is that the thing that affected me more was, was my environment where I, when I grew up. And, uh, uh, you know, it was inner city, and you had to be quick if you didn't want to get beat up. And, and there was no one to go appeal to. You know, today, if, if someone brushes against you in the hallway of a school, uh, what happens is you go in and test principal. But uh, then if somebody, you know, wouldn't let you in your locker unless you gave them a dollar, uh, you better figure out how to either get in your locker or give them the dollar. So, I, you know, I got a, I, I lettered in the sprints in track, a skinny white kid. I lettered in the sprints in track in my freshman year. That's how fast I got. Uh, and I also, you know, made the, the various dean's list and highest academic ratings right away because I, I learned to be really quick in, with my mind as well. So it was that nurturing, I think, uh, in those days that really helped get me where I am. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Love and, it. That, and that proves my mother's theory, may she rest in, in heaven, that she, when we moved out of Oakland, and I, we moved to the suburbs. And I'm like, why are the kids when I go back to Oakland so much faster? And she's like, because they're so used to running from the police or running from this and that. And I said, well, how am I ever going to get that fast? <laughs> you know, because in the suburbs, I don't have that issue anymore. She's like, I guess it's going to be the dogs chasing you. So Alan was running from the people. That's how he got fast. It proves that, you know, out of necessity, you can get a skill that is just, it, it's necessary. Well, you know, I, I can't run the hundred in ten seconds anymore, but I can I can think faster than I ever thought. There you go. And, and when you're you're thinking in consulting, what I what I'm finding, and we have a big uh, influencer uh, clientele, and our influencers now are taking their audience, and of course they're traveling for free and money and all that good stuff, whatnot. But I've noticed when you take any American product out of the country and it already has its base and foundation here. When we go overseas, it could be Europe, it could be Africa, it could be wherever. It's so much easier to sell. What is your thoughts and what is your experience on bringing companies overseas? And do you enjoy it? Well, I do enjoy it. And I think it's important because, you know, this is a global economy. Uh, I've been to 60, I think three or four countries. You know, I was just in Vietnam. I think it was the 64th. And what you find is American culture prevails. You know, there's American clothing, there's American music, uh, there's even American English. And um, so we have a strong cultural impact around the world. Secondly, you know, you take a look at the emerging economies. If I had to make a prediction, I think that in the next five years, the most dramatically emerging economy is going to be Africa. Mm -hmm. And if there are, I don't know how many countries are in Africa, say there are 80, uh, probably 60 of them are going to have a rising middle class. Uh, the dictatorial rulers are gone. Uh, the colonialists are gone. The imperialists are gone. And people are going to want a better life. And there's going to be a lot of investment there. So uh, I, I think another reason to um, bring your country and your thoughts around the world, technology makes it easier than ever. 
the 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 reality of of the economics make it essential, uh, and I think that um, uh, you need the diversity of different kinds of buyers and different kind of employees to help your firm move into the future. So I, I'm all for it. Okay, and have you done anything in Africa yet? No, I've just visited it. I've been to Morocco. I've been to South Africa. Uh, I've never done anything there, uh, but I, I anticipate I probably will be. I mean, I just did something in Hanoi. Well, I'm, I'm definitely sending this interview out to our new friends in Kenya, and my wife is from Cameroon. So, but um, Cameroon still has a dictator of 38 years. He's been there. Yeah. A whole yeah. other topic. But Kenya would be <laughs> so open <laughs> for that. Um, so I definitely will be be sharing all this information. And we don't have much longer, so we're going to get out rapid fire any type of questions. Al, if you got them, don't hold back. Don't let my big mouth stop you. Just tell me, shut right. up. What not? But I'm going to give you a chance to ask anything else before I, you know, um, close it out. Got you. So I'm, I'm jumping right in. Okay. Uh, so the future of, um, future of entrepreneurialism, um, right off the top of my head, uh, where do you think things are progressing with uh, technology? Are there, we said, you mentioned like the augmentation of things progressing along, uh, bringing people closer together. Does technology with business bring people closer together or does it, you know, put a, a divide between us? Where do, you, where do you really see things 10 you, years, 15 years? Um, one of the real prophets was Nesbitt who wrote Megatrends in 1982 or 85, somewhere back there. But what's that, uh, 40 years ago? And Nesbitt said, high tech, high touch. And unlike so many of these people, he was exactly right. And the higher the technology today, the higher touch you need. You know, if you have a problem with Amazon and you call, you, you talk to a person. And I think that uh, the future is a combination, a synergy of advancing technology with advancing high touch. A good example is telehealth, where you can use your iPhone, take a picture of a mole, goes to some specialist 2,000 miles away, uh, and you get a phone call back. I mean, th this is where I see things going. Wow, impressive. Same with consulting. Solid, solid, solid. And, and I love, if you do a healthcare book, um, or if you have one, I haven't seen that yet. I, I love it, because we have healthcare businesses given my, my, our, our, my wife's position, and I, I love that. And when you can, you know, consultants, some consultants, will say, hey, give me $1,000 a month and I'll consult. And I'm thinking, what are you bringing as far as $1,000 a month of value? And that's what all his books are about, is your value, what you can do. And, and he gives you the ways that you, if you have a problem and someone wants to, you know, I want to reduce you or fire you. And he's going to, Alan's going to say, well, tell the guy, does he have fire insurance? Yeah. Does he have a fire? Did he have a fire this year? No. So he's going to cancel his fire insurance. Those type of things, which, I mean, they're simple. You don't have to, you know, be bilingual, trilingual. He's not saying he's a polygot, um, which he may be. I, I don't know. You got all the talents. <laughs> Alan, are you a polygot? How many languages do you speak? I barely speak English. I mean, I can, I can, I spoke Spanish this morning to a, a server in the restaurant. I can speak enough Spanish to get a meal, you know, in a room in a cab. Uh, I have a pretty good command of English and that's it. But, uh, and I admire people who can speak several languages, but if you're talking about a, a polymath, oh, um, yeah, polymath, yes. 
Right. And which is somebody who, who knows a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would, I would position myself there. You know, I, I think I can talk to almost anyone on anything, not with the depth they have. I mean, I couldn't talk to a nuclear scientist on nuclear science so well, but I could carry on a conversation and I pretty much have in my life. And, and is that the key um, or one of the keys, I should say, to consulting? Because you have to be a people person. I mean, have you ever met anyone who just doesn't have like people skills who's great at consulting? Well, most of the work, most of the work from McKinsey. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, erase that part of the tape. Uh, That's funny. No, there are a lot of people who are good at consulting, but they've got no people skills. So they're not great consultants. Mm. Uh, now, if you work for a big firm, the firm's going to do the marketing. That's why I made the crack about McKinsey. But if you're an entrepreneur and you have your own practice, man, it's a, like I said before, one of the two decisions I made, this is a relationship business. Okay. Are there any other um, traits that you see? Like we, I watched Shark Tank, you know, since its beginning and like majority of the sharks are dyslexic. And I told my wife for years, I said, you know what? I might be dyslexic. And it is only this year. She's like, you know what? You might be. I said, did the doctor say that? <laughs> I said, oh, that means I'm, I'm eligible to be a shark. Right. And she was like, ah, whatever. I mean, you're a high functioning <laughs> dyslexic with, with graduate degrees. Right. But I said, I just want to know more for the kids than for me at this point. But do you see any other traits? And I know you've written about this in, in the books, but anything uh, that maybe won't be so socially appropriate because saying, hey, every consultant or many are dyslexic or you could even say bipolar doesn't really sound too good in a book. But are, do you see any other traits, awkward or otherwise, that many consultants that are successful like yourself have? I think the traits for a really successful consultant are you have to have a huge command of the language. You have to have a wonderful sense of humor because that keeps things in perspective. Uh, and you have to use your own metrics so that uh, you, you don't simply seek business. You seek the right business. And when you get the right business, you're not afraid to tell a client, a buyer, uh, hey, look, you're wrong here. You need to change this. You need to push back. Uh, and, and then Finally, I think you need, you know, you talked about being a polymath before. You need to be well read. You need to know about history and geography. You know, you need to know about where we came from and where we're located. And the schools are doing a horrible job of that today. And so you have to be an autodidact. You have to teach yourself these things so that you, be, you can really become a person who is an object of interest to others. Solid. More, more gems with authority. More gems. Love it. Love it. Um, Alan, as we uh, wrap this up, uh, definitely like to thank you for your time, your mind, your insight, your expertise. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, go ahead. Well, I want to tell you two something, and I, I never blow smoke, and I don't say this very often. You two are better prepared and have had better questions and better insights than almost any other interviewers. And I'm talking about CNN and all the TV work I've done as well. You two have been amazing and i want to thank you for the opportunity oh thank thank you now we're yeah we're, we're, we're honored i think the, the the beauty of this conversation is seeing so much of myself in in you i'm just like oh my goodness like it's, I, I see my reflection of what i can become just learning just learning about you prior to this to this interview so that, thank you that's very flattering thank you thank you both very welcome very welcome Yes. Um, one thing, uh, one thing that we do ask here at Diversified Game is that 
um, where do you feel or where do you believe is your give back beyond uh, teaching others to become better versions of themselves? What have you done in the community uh, beyond coaching entre entrepreneurs? Well, I've served on a dozen boards of nonprofits. Um, I coach people for free. I give scholarships to people. I mean, I've never run a session without one, two, three people in there on me. Uh, and I think I'm generally concerned about, um, about humanity. I mean, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a religious person. But aside from that, I'm also a spiritual person. And uh, I try to relate to what's going on around me, and I try to help others relate to it as well. That, I, I love it. I'm going to give my, my spill, because if I don't say it, I'll send you a long email. You <laughs> made me feel that I wasn't such a weirdo. And because a lot of the things that we do, new ideas, whatever, I've, I've been, you know, people will say you, that can't be done. And I love it. The closer the person is to me when they say that can't be done. And I'm like, wait, hold on. When I'm reading your literature and I, I don't, I just, I'm glued to it. And I'm like, it can be done because I, I, I'm telling you the method of how it's going to be done. Maybe it's never been done before, or maybe it's been tried, but you make me feel like, okay, I am not totally an alien from another planet. And, and the fact that a, a lot of what we do also is with um, churches or music ministries. And it, with that, you're fighting against something of, okay, MTV that's going to show trash versus something that is trying to uplift you. And that's not the easiest thing. But again, that too can be done. So, you know, finding that balance of just take it. Working in New England, you know this, Alan, because you live there. There's certain people in politics that you have to be able to deal with, and you have to do certain type of business with them, and you have to be an upstanding guy, or you'll never do business again. You might not be seen again, but that's a whole nother uh, podcast. But you really make uh, it, it completed me. It completed the journey. So I really thank you for taking the time to do this. I hope people go to Alan Weiss. You can Google him. If you won't remember anything else, Google his name. It will pop up. Get a book. Go to his beautiful website that is so far into the future because he's only changed it like four times, he said. Um, I appreciate you and thank you for doing this interview. Thank you, Kellen. Thank you, AL. I got to run, but it's been a pleasure. So I think this is a good place to stop our dialogue for this episode and allow you, the listeners, to join the conversation and keep the dialogue going with us online. You can do so by visiting our social media at Facebook, Diversified Game Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter, Game Diversified, online, diversifiedgame.com. In your life with the people around you and or join our Patreon and get some nice perks for being involved. If you found a nugget and or like today's episode, you might as well leave a review. And if you leave a review, you might as well share it. If you share it, you might as well subscribe. And as always, thanks for your support. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifyGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.